yeah, can't, com can't compete. So I told the tech team when I came up here, I'm putting the clicker in my left pocket where it is there. The legend of the clicker lives on. How are you guys doing this morning? Excellent. Thank you. Uh, it's funny. I, Oleg is the guy that's in charge of the coffee cart. He and I were talking, and he, he was like, all right, so we'll do the coffee cart before service and after and I was like, can you also do it during Connect time? Because it'll be like the first time you've announced it. And he's like, I can do that. But if I do that, people are going to hang out there because that's what happens. And right now, like half the church is out there. <laughs> so Oleg is not here right now. But Oleg, you told me so. I hear you. Probably won't change my behavior, but I hear you. So you guys are doing good this morning. I am exhausted this morning. <laughs> Because, uh, so we planned the name of, of God series like back in, what, August, September? And uh, we kind of like picked who's going to do what, and it just kind of happened that I was landing on, on this day, the 31st. Um, and I, as a lot of people know, I sing in a barbershop quartet and a barbershop chorus, and we have a competition that happened to be the 29th and 30th. So I've done two days of singing, um, both like with a chorus and a quartet, and my quartet, like we went and we uh, did our, our songs and we, we've been together for like six weeks. It's kind of getting serious. Um, and so our goal was just to like not suck. And so we go up and we're like, we sing, we're like, oh, that was so good. We left it all out on the table. It was great. We can finally relax. And then they were like, and the third place winners, the big time, which is, that's, that's me. So we won third. Which is crazy, like we have like a scoring thing and I, we scored like 20 points higher than I've ever scored in my life. And in this moment I was like, wow, we wanted a thing. Wait a minute, that means we have to sing another song. <laughs> so, and then after the singing is like evaluations, like we have judges that go like, hey, here's how you sang, if you want to sing better, here's the next thing. So I was in Federal Way until like midnight last night and driving home like, okay God, I have a sermon to preach, I hope this, is, I hope this works out. <laughs> So uh, I'm, I'm tired, but I'm here. And it's, the interesting thing about the Names of God series that we, that we did is, again, we just kind of picked them, and, and we, we said, this is what I feel like the Lord is doing. And at the time, I picked this name, and it was just kind of like, I like this. I like this name. I feel like God's going to show up and have a cool thing to say. And then this interesting like, thing in life happened where, uh, I, this isn't a secret, but it hasn't really been like publicize. So hopefully this isn't like shocking, but my season on Lake Sam staff is going to be coming to an end at some point in the future. That's not new, terrible news, is it? Well, I mean, it's new, not, let's not call it terrible or good news, but like that's not new information, right? <laughs> like, okay, uh, that's good. So we've been praying through about like, what's the next season for me? And I felt like what the, the Lord spoke to me was the next thing you're going to do is uh, get your master's degree in music education and go be a choir teacher. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I'm in. Let's do this. And it's, have you ever had this thing where God speaks to you and you're just like, I know what I need to do, so I'm just going to step into it. And you have this like confidence when you know like this is what God's asked me to do. Like it's happened to me before uh, when I was in Bible college, I worked at Pizza Hut. And then I felt like God was like, put in your two weeks, you're going to work at Starbucks. And I went, okay, done. And I hadn't even applied yet. And I put in my two weeks. And the Starbucks interview process is, at the time was pretty rigorous in Southern California. And I walked in and it was just like, well, you're going to hire me, so let's just do this. Like, and they're asking all these questions and it's kind of like, yeah, 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 I'll answer your dumb question, but you're just going to hire me because God spoke to me. And I know this is going to happen. 
And I got hired because God spoke to me and I just did what he wanted me to do. And so I was, I was there. And that kind of situation has happened to me like three or four times in my life. So when this happened, I went, I know this feeling. This is a familiar feeling. I've, I found the, the school that I feel like he asked me to apply for. Um, I applied for it. And I just have this like confidence that with, with music education, you have to do an audition. So I like prepared this audition and was like, no problem, man. I got this. Easy. And I go through the whole audition like, well, you're going to accept me. So we're just working at details at this point. And uh, I come home, and I'm like, man, I nailed it. And people praying for me are like, yeah, this is, like, feels like God's favor's on you. It's so awesome. It's great. Uh, amazing. And so I get an email from the school. And I was, I was like, oh, maybe I should wait till Johanna gets home to open the email, and it'll be like a cool, like, fun reveal. And I'm, like, picturing myself, like, printing it out and, like, putting on the wall, like, here's another moment, you know, Maybe there's some arrogance in there, but I honestly, for me, it was a lot of like, look at this cool thing that God did. Like, he totally is pivoting my life in a new direction. And so I, uh, I'm like, I'm not going to wait for Johanna. I'll just give her the good news later. And I open the email, and it says, dear Kevin, unfortunately, hmm, unfortunately, is not a word usually described by people who have gotten into the school, right? So I'm like, huh, unfortunately your paperwork was lost, but you still got in, don't worry, maybe. Unfortunately, we've chosen not to accept you for the, the master's program. Yeah, that sucks. But in that moment, it was like, okay, well, now what do I do? <laughs> because... Sure, there's like this whole like life, life journey, what am I going to do with my life? Like, sure, that's a thing. That's a, that's a pr- pretty actually important thing, a ma- major thing that Johanna is really concerned about. Uh, but for me, it was also this like, but hold on, I, I prayed about this. I, I seeked the Lord on this one, and I did exactly what he wanted me to do. Like, I know this feeling. I know his voice and I know what it's like. And so all I was doing was just like, I found kind of like, if you think of like, it's like the stream, like what's God doing? And I'm just going to step in that stream and I'm just going along for the ride. I did that. So what's happening? Why are we here? How did we get here? Did I hear God wrong? And if, if you're like me, my brain is totally out of control. And my brain goes, okay, well, I must've heard God wrong then. I must hear God wrong a lot. I must, maybe I've never heard God ever in my entire life. Why am I leading worship if I can't hear God's voice? Why am I even a Christian? I thought I, and like, I just kind of like spiral out of control. <laughs> Does anyone else do that? Does anyone else overthink? Some of you are like, I think I overthink, but I'm not sure. I don't know. There's my dad joke for the morning. <laughs> So, so my brain is like my biggest enemy, and it, it just it spirals me out. And even worse was this news came like three days before the worship morning we did here, like the daylight savings. And so I'm expected to like create a sacred space for Lake Sam for an hour and a half while I just had this news dropped on me of like, hey, by the way, maybe you don't hear God ever. <laughs> and that's not, that wasn't the news, but that's how I felt. And so, like, as staff and uh, my friends and family that were praying for me were, uh, I was telling them the news. The news was basically, uh, hey, just so you know, I didn't get in. I don't know what I'm going to do about it, and I don't want to talk about it. Because <laughs> I know that there's all these, like, there's this, like, cloud of doubt 
hanging over me, and I don't know what to do with that. And right now, I can't process that because I have to lead worship for an hour and a half. Uh, which, at first, I was like, this doesn't feel like a healthy pattern. Uh, it probably is not. But I think there's something about, like, being present for and doing what you need to do. Well, in the meantime, like, I've since processed it. So I'm not, like, saying don't stuff your emotions because I think that's bad. Uh, and in that moment, there's, like, like staff is great, so they don't they don't say this. But in your head, you do, you do things like, "Well, God's in control, right? Like God has a better plan. When He closes a door, He opens a window," which is also not how doors work. So I don't know why we say that. Just open the door. But like so all these like Christianese platitudes that we say to try and like comfort people, uh, I didn't find that very helpful in that moment. Because meanwhile, my brain is going. Well, how do I know that that's true? I don't even hear God anymore, apparently. <laughs> what do I do? So then we, that brings us to today, the, the names of God, what we're, what we're doing this morning. I was working on this sermon in between uh, two barbershop performances, and I was in their, their coffee shop. We met at a church in Federal Way, and I started talking to someone uh, who I had never met before, and I told them that I was preaching, and I'm a pastor, and uh, they started sharing their story, and I was like, oh, this sermon is, is for me. I need this sermon, because my brain just spirals out of control, and I don't know what I'm going to do in my life, and maybe I never hear God, and, and what is going on in my life, but like, this person really needed to know who God is in this way, and like, uh, the, Pam this morning just found out that her, her dad is in ICU, like, we don't know what's going to happen. Pam needs this this morning. And the more and more I talk to people, the more I'm like, oh, God is actually doing something uh, with this sermon that's really, really important. It's just really important that I get it right. And, you know, who cares about my story? It's just a, I applied for a school and didn't get it. But it actually, like, hurts a lot. <laughs> and it feels like the Christian way to say this would be, uh, I think, because I'm not a very good, like, Christianese person. Uh, I hang out with non-Christians too much, so I use words that they understand. Um, but I think the, the phrase that we would use is, like, I feel like I'm experiencing a storm right now, right? Like this, like, New Testament, like, calming the storms kind of situation. Like, I feel like I'm in a storm situation. And I don't understand how I got here, and I don't understand why God isn't doing anything about it. Because I've done all the right steps, We've been in the Name of God series, and I know him now. I know him better than I've ever known him before. And I've done everything right, and still there's storms around me. So God, what are you doing about all this? What are you doing with all these storms? Is that anyone else this morning? I feel like, God, I've done it. Where are you? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to have Vignesh pray for us. We were worried that Vignesh got lost at the coffee cart, but he's here. I did put my coffee on hold. <laughs> you put your coffee on hold for me? Aw, that's how I love you. Can you, yeah, so uh, like we do, pray for us. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, this isn't just a conversation between you and me. Pray for us and lift up this church and uh, lift up another church. Still our light. And we are just going to seek that light this morning. 
And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. 
The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Right? So do you see why this sermon is timely for me? Do you see why this sermon is timely for us? Peace, shalom. That's what I need. My life needs to be shalom, that's all. Like my mind, that it just spirals out of control. Just needs to be shalomed. No big deal. So how do we do that? We get a look at one of my favorite Old Testament stories. God, I say that every time about every story and every Bible thing. I'm sorry, but yeah. So, but seriously, this character is like one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, and it's the, the character Gideon. It's, it's found in Judges chapter six. So, oh, is that a Gideon fan, or did you just drop a pen? Ah, uh, okay. Dang. You're about to be a Gideon fan. Although Gideon is a really tragic story in the end, but uh, it, it's helpful to to watch his life. So, so watch this. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So this is a pattern in Judges, and the cool thing about the names of God's series that we've been in is we've sort of followed Israel's history as they became a nation. Um, so we watched Israel be in Egypt as slaves, and God brought them out of Egypt part of the Red Sea miraculously sent them into the desert for 40 years where they can learn to do the, uh, they were sideways in their thing. I like, Justine has this like way of where she can like make her body flat while still standing. I'm not that coordinated, but this like sideways thinking to like upside up, like Israelites in the desert. Uh, and so they wander the desert for a while. Finally, they make it into the land that God promised to give them, and they call this land Israel, uh, named after the nation they made. So they're in Israel, and the book of Judges is the story of Israel finally reaching the promised land and how they do. And spoiler alert, they don't do very well. Uh, they, so they, uh, the, this pattern in Judges is the same pattern that you'll, if you read Judges, it's just over and over and over. It's, they follow God for a while, then they forget God, and they do evil in his sight, and so he just like lets them experience the consequences of that, and bad things happen to them. So then they cry out to the Lord, and he raises a judge for them. 
I mean, when you hear judge, don't think like judges the way like we have them in the U.S. A judge is like a war chief or like a, like a military leader, tribal leader kind of thing. And, and he, they, he raises up a judge that he's like, oh, this is going to be my guy. He's going he's gonna to deliver you. The judge does God's work and rescues Israel, and Israel experiences shalom, peace, for a while. And then they forget God. And then they do evil on the side of the Lord. And then God lets them experience the consequences of that. And then they cry out. And then he raises up another judge. And then the judge does God's work and delivers Israel. And then they're back. And this cycle continues and continues and continues. So by the time we're in Judges chapter 6, they go, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. That's almost old news. They're like, okay, I got it. Yeah, you just do the same thing you always do. But this is actually probably worse than the Israelites have experienced so far. This, the Midianites are basically coming in and being like, hey, you're, you're, all your good stuff, mine now, thank you. And they just kind of steal all of their stuff and just waste their entire land. The whole land is stripped bare. And so Israel is reduced to starvation. So they do what they do. They cry out to the Lord for help. This time, it's different. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. Usually he just raises up a judge and gets the job done. But here he goes, hey, here's a prophet. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. So it, he's, it, it's kind of this like, you keep crying out to help, and I keep helping you, but you're just not getting it. Like, here's all this, this history of me working with you, and you, you know me, right? Like, we've done this together, we've been walking together, and you're just not getting it. I don't know what else to say, except you just don't listen. The Bible Project has this, uh, this, graph, this chart of the judges, and I, I just screen capped a part of it, because I feel like this sums it up. This is how the, the judges goes. They go from like pretty good, they spiral, they spiral, okay, and then bad, and then just splat. They just, they just get terrible. The end of judges is tragic. And so we're kind of, with Gideon's story, we're kind of in this like okay slot. Like things are not good. They're okay. And, and Gideon, he's okay. So here's what happens next in the story. An angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. I don't know if I'm saying any of those names right, so don't quote me on those. Gideon, I know I'm getting that name right. Gideon, son of Goash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So meet Gideon. He's our hero in this story. What's he doing? He's in a wine press. What's he doing in a wine press? He must be making wine, right? Because that's what you do in a wine press. Nope, no, no, no. He took the grain from the outside because the Midianites are going to destroy it. And he's going to starve. And he's hiding in a wine press. And he's like, kind of like hand crushing the wheat. Is that, that's, yeah, that, that checks out. He's like hand crushing the wheat and then like hiding it in a wine press barrel. It's like, you know, apparently they're like, they're not gluten free, but they don't drink alcohol, I guess. I don't know how the Midianites missed this, but uh, he's just chilling. He's hiding. And then the Lord comes to him and says, mighty hero, mighty hero, 
the Lord is with you. And to, to me, at this point of the narrative, that's a wild assertion. Like, mighty hero hiding. Mighty hero just trying to not die is kind of his goal right now in this point of the story. And I so relate to Gideon, right? Because you just, he's just trying to do life, right? Like, he's just trying, just, these are the cards he was dealt. And he's just trying to make it work. He's trying to make the best of a bad situation. We're all kind of Gideon, right? Like, I'm just trying to do my best. And sure, this, this life is not the one I would have chosen. Hiding in a wine press wasn't my first career choice. But here we are, and, you know, I'm, I'm, being, I'm doing okay. And then God comes into the picture. And when God comes into the picture, he says this weird thing, mighty hero. He, he says two weird things. First, he calls Gideon mighty hero, and you're like, well, I don't know about that. And then he says, oh, the Lord is with you. And he's like, hmm, I don't know about that. So how would you respond if an angel of the Lord came to you and said those things, and you're like, uh, life is not what I thought it would be. These don't ring true to me. Here's what Gideon said. Sir, I, I, I like to think he had a British accent, but he was Jewish, so he... <laughs> but sir, the Lord is with us. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So Gideon, he's just like, I'm just going to pretend you didn't say mighty hero because that is just too weird. But let's talk about the Lord is with you, huh? You're with me, huh? You're with us? You're with Israel? Is that what you think, angel of the Lord? Where were you when the Midianites came, huh? Like, it was bad when they came the first time, but then they came back, and then they destroyed all of our crops, and then they took all the good stuff out of our land, the land you gave us, by the way, and, and they just kept coming and coming and coming, and now the land is bare. God, I think it's your fault. If you were with us, this probably wouldn't have happened. So don't tell me you're with us, because where were you? Where is this God that, you that we talk about? Where is this God who delivers his people out of Egypt in this mighty way? This God who parts the Red Sea? This God who leads them through the desert with all these mighty miracles? Where is that God? Then the Lord says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. And you're like, that doesn't address anything I just said. Where, I've, I have deeper questions, and you're, you're just like, go? So what, what does Gideon say? Gideon, my boy. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? See, now we're talking about mighty warrior, right? We talked about how God is with you, but mighty warrior. But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. By the way, none of that sentence is true. His clan is not the weakest in the whole tribe. In fact, uh, what we learn later in the story is his dad is in charge of the temple to Baal, which is a different god. Uh, and therefore, and the temple was doing pretty well. So therefore, he's probably uh, pretty good in his tribe. And I'm the least in my entire family. Well, actually, that one might be true. He is just chilling in a, in a wine press. 
So maybe that's true. But that, this is not a, a generally true statement. Does this remind you of anyone, by the way, in the, in the, uh, someone else in the Bible? Moses, good, yeah, yeah. It could remind you of anyone. I'm, I don't care. You can, you know, but, but Moses is the answer that it reminds me of. <laughs> I hate when they're like, does that remind you of anyone? Jesus, no. Like, no, it can remind <laughs> It can remind you of Jesus, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, Moses. Moses had a similar encounter. And uh, one of the differences, well, actually one of the similarities is God was like, hey, go do this thing. And both of them were like, I don't know, maybe not me, are you sure? And here's where the paths diverge a little bit. The Lord said, I'll be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, in this part of the story, in Moses' version, he's like, okay, let's do this. When Gideon hears this information, he goes, okay, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He, the angel, answered, I'll stay here until you return. So, Gideon returned home. He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then, carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of the Lord said, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. Uh, I'm speeding through this because it's actually not actually that important. Uh, as Gideon did as he was told, then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and the fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. I said that's not important, but that's not true. This is really important. Yeah. What Gideon is doing right now is he's going, I don't know this God. I don't know this God at all. I don't know what he's like. I don't know what, does he like food? I'm going to test this angel of the Lord. Because if the angel of the Lord came back and was like, ah, oh, meat, great. And he picks it up with his hand and just starts nomming down on it. That's not a God. That's a person. And so Gideon can be like, I don't have to listen to you. And if he presents all this stuff and, and this, this angel Lord's like, okay, cool, now sacrifice a, a son. Okay, so we're talking about Baal, I know this God. And, but the angel of the Lord does this, this thing where he's like, okay, put the, put the meat together this way. And then fire flames up and consumes it. He's like, oh, that was unexpected. I don't know this God. And that's the biggest difference between Moses and Gideon, is when Moses encounters God, he goes, I better take off my shoes, because the place I'm standing is holy ground. When, when Yahweh revealed himself to Moses, Moses was like, oh, oh, this God, okay, I'm in, let's do this. And sure, he had his, his doubts of I can't speak well and, and so on, but at the end of the day, he went. And Gideon's like, huh, I don't know, let me test you. And later in the story, which we're not getting to, he's like, okay, sure, maybe you're calling me, but just to test you, I'm going to put like, uh, some, uh, my, my shirt out, and in the morning, if it's wet and everything around it is dry, then I'll know it's you. And God's like, all right, I guess I'll jump through this hoop, and he does it. And Gideon's like, okay, yeah, but sh pro someone could have like dunked it in water or something. And like, so new test, it, make it dry and everything around me, it wet. And so he's just like, keep testing Yahweh over and over and over. And he just doesn't, doesn't get it, he doesn't know this God. But fortunately for us, he does have this moment of, ha ha, 
when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, or the, the actual, remember uh, like week one when we talked about the name of God, Yahweh? Whenever you see the Lord, capital Lord like that, whenever, uh, that's Yahweh, so uh, the divine name. When Gideon realized it was the angel of Yahweh, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of that guy, Abiezer, to this day. So he's like, peace. He's like, I get it. Okay, this is the God who completes me. This is the God who makes me whole. Oh, okay, I can get out of this wine press, and this God is... Yahweh Shalom. He makes me whole. What's interesting about this is he makes this declaration, oh, it's Yahweh Shalom, okay. Nothing's changed. Like, the Midianites are still out there. He still probably is like, I still don't know what I'm going to do for dinner. Chick-fil-A's closed. Like, I still, I still got to figure out life. Things are not different. It's exactly the same as it was externally. You might say, the storm is still a storm. Thank you, Yahweh Shalom, but there is still Midianites out there. Isn't that interesting? I find that fascinating because I would expect the story to be like, and then God said, go, I'll be with you, and then the Midianites just like died of a plague or something. Something cool. Like, you know, plague. God did plagues in the Old Testament a lot, so that would be cool. Like, that would be awesome. We're like, and then God was like, hey, mighty warrior, here's a steak dinner. Don't worry about threshing wheat anymore, because I got you. He doesn't do that at all. And in fact, what's so fascinating to me, particularly with the story of Gideon, is God, Yahweh says, I'm with you. Let's do this. Let's go. It's a great day for a battle. Let's do this. But that doesn't guarantee success. Like, like Gideon now has to go and do some stuff, right? Like he has to fight this battle that he could lose. It's clear that, that God, God doesn't necessarily protect the land from being totally destroyed from the Midianites, like, and uh, Israel's army could go out, and probably some people still died, despite the fact that Yahweh was with the leader, right? Like, uh, when Moses would do these battles, Moses was God's guy, and when his hands were up, like, remember the story of uh, God is my banner that, that uh, Robert preached? When his hands were up, Israel was doing well and winning, and when his hands were down, Israel was not doing well. They were losing, and probably some people were dying, so just because God's presence is there doesn't guarantee victory. Isn't that interesting? But either way, uh, Yahweh Shalom, God is my peace, is not the end of the story. It's where we're going to leave Gideon right now, but there's another like four chapters of Gideon where it's like, okay, now that you've experienced God as my peace, now that you've been made whole by this God, now that you know his presence is with you and you're a mighty warrior, now we begin. Now it's time to start. You thought this was all leading up to this climactic moment, and now we're good. But it's actually like previously on Israel. Boom, now we can start because God's presence is with you. 
Isn't that interesting? So I, I uh, mentioned before that the metaphor in the New Testament we use is like storms, the storms in my life. And Gideon is certainly experiencing a storm that he's about to walk into. Here's a story in the New Testament uh, where uh, the writer Mark tells the story of Jesus. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Fair. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So it's an interesting story, right? Because uh, and I've, every time I, I get to this story when I read the Gospels, I'm always a little confused by this because it feels like the story should be the disciples were worried about this storm. So they went to the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is the king of the storms. You know, when you have a problem, who do you go to? Like, Jesus is a good start, right? Like, isn't that all of what we learn in, in like, church? <laughs> That's like, hey, if you have a problem, why don't you go to Jesus? Maybe he, want, he might want to fix that problem for you, right? And so it's weird to me that, like, literally it says uh, he rebuked the wind and, and the waves, and then he rebuked the disciples, and I find that so fascinating because, like, why would you rebuke the disciples? They did the right thing, didn't they? They came to you. They had a problem, and they asked you to solve their problem. And this isn't in the text, so I'm, this is just what, what I understand, how I make sense of this, but it's not here, so I could be wrong. But I don't think Jesus wanted to calm that storm. I don't think it was God's will that storm be silenced. Because if it were, I think Jesus would be like, congratulations, you, you've solved my wind puzzle. You, we, that's exactly what I hoped you would do, is wake me up so I can calm the storm. But instead he's like, why do you have so little faith? Why are you so afraid of this storm? Why are you so afraid of this storm in your life? Why are you so afraid of what's going on around you? Why are you so afraid of your circumstances? Don't you know who's in the boat with you? Do you really think the story of Jesus is going to be, well, he was miraculously born, he's the son of God, he was baptized, and the father said before he did anything, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. He did some miracles, and then he had a boat accident. Oops. Didn't see that one coming. Like suddenly baptism is like he died and that was it. <laughs> like, sorry. No. That's stupid. Like, why would you think that? He's in the boat with you. Of course you're going to make it out of the storm. But don't we do this? Isn't this our lives? Isn't this Gideon's life? Where, he's like, where God's like, mighty warrior, it's time. It's a great day for a battle. It's time. I'm with you. Let's go. And we're like, I don't know. I mean, my wife just had surgery, so... Uh, I don't know, this is not, I don't know, my dad is in the hospital, I don't know. Uh, I didn't get into my master's program, so, uh, I don't know. And God speaks to us, and we just go, mighty warrior, huh? 
eh, I don't know. And then we end up going, okay, God, can you just calm this storm? Can you do a miraculous thing in my life? Can you just make the storm go away, please, please? And guys, God does that. And this is not the only story of God doing a miracle with weather. And in other stories where God does miracles with weather, he's like, good job. You have faith, so I I did this cool miracle. God does do miracles. God does calm storms. Sometimes God wants to calm the storm in your life. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he has no intention of solving that storm for you. Sometimes he comes into your life and says, I am Yahweh Shalom. I am your peace. I complete you. Go into the storm because we're ready. We're doing this today, you and me. I've empowered you for this storm. And if you would just stop looking at the storm and asking him to fix this problem, you would see what he's actually doing in you. You would see that he actually wants to be your peace. So it's really interesting. I found out this news about my master's degree, or I guess not my master's degree. Uh, (laughs) Probably won't happen, I guess. and then I had this worship morning, and then the very next thing, that, uh, next event that I was planning for was Purim. And uh, my role in Purim was to be like the narrator, so I had to read the story. And uh, I was also in charge of making sure the actors who were reading their lines like, knew their, their stuff, and I'm like separating them out so that way they're like highlighted so they, they, we have a nice flow. And I'm reading the story of Esther over and over and over, and I'm like, because you know, you have to like pause in the right moments and make sure I know the pronunciations of all the names, unlike this morning, uh, uh, and uh, reading through Esther and this, this theme of Esther that just keeps coming up when you read the book of Esther, and it's when Esther says, or it's actually Mordecai says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief from the Jews will rise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows? If perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this, who knows if maybe God has empowered you for this storm in your life? Who knows? And then Esther's response is, okay, yeah, gather the Jews and and we're going to fast for three days. We're all going to do the same. And then she has this, I'll go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. That's a confidence that I can get behind. That's a I'm in the boat with Jesus. If the storm kills me, fine. I'm in the boat with Jesus. So I'm not going to worry about the storm. He is in me. I'm empowered. So did I actually hear God or not is my question for me. Did I, did I miss him? I wasn't actually supposed to go get my master's degree. Did I make a terrible mistake by telling the staff that I was going to go back and get my master's degree before I actually got into a school? In the end, here's where I've landed. It doesn't matter. Sorry. That's not a satisfying like narrative arc. But it actually doesn't, doesn't matter. I, I mean, it matters. It matters that we recognize God's voice. But I can't live my life like micro-analyzing every time I think I hear the Lord or not. I just have to be in the habit, and I want to stay in this habit of, what are you asking me to do, Lord? Yahweh Shalom, you complete me. I'm empowered, let's do this, let's go. It's a great day for a battle. And maybe I get it right and maybe I get it wrong. But I'm gonna continue this posture of openness towards him. So in that way, it almost doesn't matter if I heard him right or not. What matters is I responded to what I thought he was doing. And I honestly don't know what I'm gonna do next. Like I could 
maybe I'll get, God could still open the door for that, that school, or maybe I'm not going to go to school, or maybe I'll get hit by a bus on the way home. Who knows? Like, it is not, that, that is, the story is up in the air, but here's where I'm at. All right, Storm, bring it. Yahweh Shalom is the, is the God who completes me. He's my peace. And because he completes me and he empowers me, it's a great day for a battle, and I can do this. And once we stop caring about the storm and start caring about who he is in us and how he's made us, he's prepared us for this storm, then we can truly know him as Yahweh Shalom, the God who is my peace. So Lord, we come before you. I don't want to thank you for storms necessarily. But I do thank you that you don't cause a storm to happen without first empowering us. Lord, thank you that we are the people that you look at us and say, mighty warrior, I am with you. Lord, would you be with us? And actually, Lord, I do ask that you calm storms in our lives. I ask for miracles. I ask for healing. I ask for uh, provision. As for everything uh, that we are concerned about that we bring to you. But Lord, I thank you that in the midst of these storms, you're our Yahweh Shalom. You're our peace. You complete us. You make us whole. You empower us. And we, as a community, say yes. We will go. We will do battle. We will go into the storm with you. Thank you, Lord.